All right, we've been in this message series in the book of James, and we're continuing today, and we're calling this number 10, Ready for His Return. Ready for His Return. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Before I get into that, I just want to ask, uh, reflecting out of last week, how you did this week, if you if you were able to make your plans GIC. Remember that? What's GIC stand for? God in charge. God in charge, right? Did you... Uh, of course, this week proved that we cannot um, know what one day is going to hold to the next. And so we make all our plans if the Lord wills. God in charge of all our all our plans. As we get into this final chapter of James, um, we're going to bounce through a couple of different topics um, uh, this week and, and next. But uh, next week, we're really going to jump into prayer, especially healing prayer. And if you would like prayer for healing or you know somebody that would like prayer for healing, We'd like to create that opportunity after uh, after the service next week. You can stick around. We'd love to pray for you and uh, and bring your concerns to the Lord. But for now, let's take uh, one through twelve. And I'm going to make a first a few comments on the first um, six verses as I read because I don't want to spend a lot of time on that first section. Uh, but let's start James chapter five, starting at verse one. It says, "Look here, you rich people." Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Okay, I'm going to stop there for a moment. There's been a shift. Till now, James has said brothers or brothers and sisters, more current translations add the sisters in there, but he's been speaking to the body, speaking to believers, speaking to, to the church over and over. He makes this sudden abrupt shift here where he's talking to those outside of the church. He's talking to unbelievers, we believe, uh, or understanding here. So he's now speaking to the, the, the folks that are oppressing his readers, the people that are making life difficult for the very people that he's he's writing to. So that's that shift. He says, verse 2, your wealth is rotting away, your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags, your gold and silver have become worthless, the very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This treasure you have accumulated will stand as evidence against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The wages you held back cry out against you. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord's, the, uh, the Lord of Heaven's army. So what's happened here is that James is writing to folks that are, that are, you know, getting rich by, by unfair labor practices. So this is long before unions and, and labor laws and so on. And he's speaking to these people saying, look, you've, you've, you've enriched yourself on the backs of your employees. And he's saying, you haven't paid proper wages even and your judgment day is coming and he's not saying he's not even saying you need to repent he's saying you need to groan you need to weep and wail because of what's coming to you it's as though judgment has already been pronounced uh on these folks uh, for their you know um, kind of wicked practices to to the people around them I would just say, if you are an employer, make sure you're you're paying good wages. You don't want to be get lumped in with this this lot. And um, so he's uh, he's just kind of bringing it to these folks. Verse five, he says, "You've spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You've fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You've condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you." And uh, the, these are important things to pay attention to. That that the enemy. Listen, the, the, the devil is always about a culture of death. Death and destruction. And it's, it's the opposite of law and order. 
And so when you, the things that you're seeing around you right now, you know this is, this is the work of the devil. And those who would encourage, those who would applaud, those who, who would kind of support, um, you know, for example, the violent protests and things that are going on, that's, that's, a, that's the culture of death. That's the work of the enemy. All right, let's get back into some good news. Picking up at verse 7, he now turns back to his audience because he shifts. He says, dear brothers or dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring, and they eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for nothing for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure suffering. For instance, you know about a Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that sin will not, so that you will not sin and be condemned. Alright, well, let's, uh, let's kind of jump into this passage from that point. As he's uh, speaking to these readers, the, the piercing theme here is this um, readiness for the Lord's return. Readiness for the Lord's return. He's calling us into patience, uh, you know, patiently waiting, right? Patience in our waiting, courage in our hardship, forbearance with one another. I'll explain that word in a little bit. Endurance in suffering. In honesty in our speech. So you, you look at these, these five things. Patience, courage, forbearance, endurance, honesty. That's a, that's a great set of attitudes. Yeah, especially in the tough times that we face. Now I want to get one little elephant out of the room. I don't know if there can be such a thing as a small elephant. And it's not a room, but you know what I mean. Um, James says that we ought to be patient for the coming of the Lord is near. And also that the judge is standing at the door. Now, anybody know when this was written? Nearly 2,000 years ago. So it doesn't quite feel like he was telling the truth. Either, either James was wrong in what he was telling, or we already missed it, right? Or near does not actually mean immediate. Some of you are thinking about Anina Montoya from um, Princess Bride. You keep using that word. It does not mean what I think you think it means. So what's happened here? Which is it? Well, what we think of as near or soon is relative. What we're talking about is the imminent return, that it could happen at any moment. So think of it this way. Those of you who raise kids, you think about, you know, when, when, uh, you know, you're trying to, trying to put your kids to bed at night, and, uh, it's a, it's just a battle. I, I remember this two year battle with one of our kids. Seriously, it took about two years to get the kid to stay in his bed at night. So some of you go through all the rigmarole, you do all the readings, you do all this stuff, you get them into their bed, you quietly close the door, and you stay there. You stand there and you listen at the door. 
Now, that the child, or you think of any other thing, you know, a, a kid who thinks they're alone in the room, kind of does whatever they want, but if they know that mom or dad is standing at the door, that means mom or dad's return is imminent. Could happen at any moment. Hey! I said get in bed. Right? If the child knows that mom or dad are at the door, hopefully, they're more likely to behave. Or if they're uh, manipulative little turkeys, they will... Use that to their advantage as well. But don't push the metaphor too far. The point is that the judge is at the door. Right? When we know that Jesus' return is imminent, He's at the door, His hand, his hand is on the doorknob, ready to return. Go back to verse 7. He says, Brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and the spring. That's an indication that there are signs that you can watch to know what's about to happen, what's coming about. Wait for the rains in the fall and the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. I have a, a farmer friend in, in the country who's got a variety. I think I've talked about him before. He's got a variety of crops, but he was kind of explaining, you know, I don't really know anything about the kind of crops around here. And he was just talking about his, his vineyards and he's got to be patient as he waits for the harvest. And so they're tracking it, they're watching it, and they can't rush it, and they're, they're testing for the sugar levels in the fruit, and they're, they're watching for the right color in the grapes, and, and they're just waiting and waiting. And then sometimes, you know, on the really hot days, they even have to patiently wait through the day and do the harvest at nighttime when the temperature drops just a few degrees. Patient, patient, patient. That's the picture of a farmer. Gotta wait, gotta wait. Don't rush it. Friend, Jesus will return. And I do not um, believe it's only near. I, I believe it's soon. I do believe Jesus' return is very soon. I do believe He is right at the door. Only the, only the Father, Jesus Himself said, I don't even know. Only the Father knows when Jesus will return. But when we look at what's... I would say when we look at what's happening right now, I got to make a comment about some of these developments in the Mideast. I don't know if you realize in the last month what's happened. The, the historic, the kind of dramatic, miraculous nature of what's just happened. I don't know if you realize that uh, the Trump administration was able to broker a deal between Israel and UAE to normalize relationships. The first, uh, a few weeks ago, the first commercial flight went from Tel Aviv to Abu Dhabi over Saudi airspace. Like, I don't know if you realize how un... This is not possible. This this should not be happening. Where Arab nations, and now this last week, Bahrain said, we're going to normalize relationships with, with Israel. This, this morning, word came out that Morocco is open to flights between Israel and Morocco. This, this is unprecedented. This is a dramatic... Turn of events. Uh, this is Ezekiel 36, 37, 38, where it talks that, first of all, that the nation of Israel will be brought back to the land. When you go to Israel today, you, you encounter Jews who have been returning en masse from all over the world, and they're resettling the nation. Uh, 72 years ago, when Israel took, was, was given statehood, and uh, immediately, within days, five Arab nations attacked them, and they defeated them. And that's happened repeatedly as they've continued to, to stand strong. And God has miraculously delivered them over and over. But when they got there, uh, 
That land was a wasteland. It was malaria-infested swamp covered with thistles and brambles, useless, useless territory. Nobody was really interested because you couldn't do anything with it. But as God's people took hold of it, and just as is promised in Scripture, God says, I'll bring my people back and it will flourish. You drive around Israel today, anywhere you go. I've driven, twice now, I've driven around all over the place in a rental car. Everywhere you go, green fields, massive banana plantations, massive vineyards, cattle all over the place. Uh, you just, you cannot believe your eyes. It matches nothing of the descriptions of, you know, um, uh, Mark Twain and others traveled there years ago and just said it was a horrible, useless place. And now you've got all this flourishing happening. So that's forecast in the prophets. And then it says, and then when they are at peace and it's in safety and security and prosperity, that's when the other nations will gather to attack. And when that happens, that's all that needs to happen for the return of Jesus. It's coming, you guys. It's close. These things are happening in your lifetime, and it's right before your eyes. It's it's happening now. So, super exciting. Anyway, um, when Jesus does return, he's not returning for everyone. That's what you need to know. When Jesus returns, he's not coming to gather everyone. He's coming to gather those who have put their faith and trust in Him. I'm going to read you something out of 1 Thessalonians. If you've got a, your Bible with you, why don't you turn back several small books to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with Him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet Him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord Himself, catch this, the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves and then together with them, we who are still alive will and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. That promise of the return of Jesus and us joining him is meant to encourage you. It's meant to make your heart skip a beat in the right direction today. Let me... Move to chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out His anger or His wrath on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when He returns, we can live with Him forever. And again, encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. The Lord's return is soon. It'll be dramatic. And it's meant to encourage you today. It's meant to to build you up. Now, James is also talking about these seasons of hardship, times of hardship. And uh, some of you have heard that, well, won't we as Christians have to go through a long season, seven years of of great trouble? It's called a great tribulation or difficult time before we're taken up to the Lord. Um, You know, verse Thessalonians, but I just read verse 9. God saved us not to experience His wrath, but to say experience His salvation um, I'm 
Personally, now, super smart people, way smarter than me, have landed on both sides of this question. When really is Jesus going to come back? Are we going to go through this long season of tribulation before or after? Listen, this, different people land in different places. I'm personally the conviction that we'll, re, we'll be taken up to the Lord before that season, before that time of tribulation. And I can talk to you more about that, uh, kind of how I'm landing on that um, conclusion. But we will suffer. That's not saying we're not going to go through hardship. Believers all over the world are suffering right now, all the time, uh, going through terrible things. Um, we're not really going through tribulation or suffering or persecution by meeting outside. Now, whether or not how intentional this is, um, I'm not going to be too quick to judge about that. Um, I know that we could safely meet indoors. We've proven that we've got all the protocols to be able to do that. Um, but around the world, there are believers who literally meet in secret because uh, they would lose their life or their business or their home or their family if they didn't. But Jesus himself warned us that we would, we would face some hard times. Matthew chapter 24. I'm just kind of taking you around Scripture today a little bit more. I hope that's all right. Matthew chapter 24, picking up at verse 9, he says this. Matthew 24, 9. Uh, you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. Jesus' heart is that all would be saved. And so it's, it's imperative that the gospel goes to every nation. So here in America, um, we've enjoyed a long season of favor. We really have. It's been awesome. America was founded with uh, men who believed in God and saw that, the, that God's idea for mankind is individual liberty and responsibility and freedom. But as the knowledge of God has been kind of purged from our culture, as people worship the environment instead of the Creator, as as radical agendas of, of things like abortion and gender confusion and, and pedophilia are increasingly embraced or welcomed or at least not openly resisted in our culture, you're going to know that if you speak the truth, you're going to be ostracized and possibly even persecuted for that. But here's... That, that's to be expected. Jesus promised if you're going to follow Him, you're going to experience some hardships. You're going to experience some suffering and persecution. But as of the moment of Jesus' return, which is what James is talking about here, things are going to be more or less normal. Jesus Himself said in, in Matthew 24, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. So it'll seem more or less normal, even if there's hardship and difficulty. So Jesus is returning. And, and as, as soon as that may be, there will be and have always been hardships for Christians. Some of you experienced some, some of that yourselves. Some of you are experiencing just hardship and, and life difficulties, challenges, trials, health issues. Some of you as Christie's reading Psalm 91 saying, well wait, I, I've tripped over a stone and hurt myself. I've, I, I've experienced 
pain and suffering, and, and we'll have to unpack Psalm 91 sometime, but God is still your rescuer and still present with you in those troubles and, and keeping you from so many things. James introduces another illustration at this point. He's talking about, about the account of Job. Job was the righteous guy. You can read about him in the Old Testament. He's got a whole book about him. It's called Job or Job if you're reading it for the first time. All right. And, uh, and Job was this righteous guy who was well to do and living a great life and everything was taken from him except for his wife, which probably wouldn't have been the worst thing. Um, because of the kind of woman she was. But anyway, that's another time. And he lost everything, and eventually everything was restored to him. But, but, but James is saying that, that Job is a good example of enduring and suffering. We, we, we just don't know why some people go through so many difficulties. You know, you're thinking about somebody right now, so it's like they just can't catch a break. They go through this, and then they get a bad health diagnosis, and then they go through a financial calamity, and then someone steals their car, and you just think, oh my goodness, when is this ever going to stop for these people? And so, James is saying, endurance. Endurance is what we're called to. And I, I have loved seeing how you as a church, you know, when someone has a need, you jump to help. When, as soon as you're aware Boom, you're on it. It's really fantastic. And just encourage you um, to keep that up. You've been amazing. But to wrap all this up, let me return to these five qualities that we started with um, that James talked about that are going to help us uh, to help one another endure until the time of Jesus. Right? He says, um, courage. Well, I've, I've got them out here for you. Patience and courage and... Um, Patience and courage, forbearance, endurance, and honesty. He says, first of all, about, about patiently waiting for the Lord's return. To develop patience, you have to keep your eye on the prize. You think about those farmers. The reason they can be patient is their prize is, if I can wait and do this right, I'll have a crop, which means I can, you know, survive another year. You keep your eye on the prize of the Lord's return. Like this farmer, watching, watching, watching. So make sure you're ready. Make sure you're ready for the Lord's return. Make sure you've made your heart right with God. Make sure you've turned from your own selfish ways of, of living and turned to follow Jesus. Live for Christ and not for the world. Patience, he says. He says courage. We need to have courage. Uh, you know, the Lord's imminent return motivates us to stand up for what's right. Even though it's, you know, culturally unpopular. So it takes courage to be truthful when, when everyone else is mocking you or belittling you or, ah, you're just old fashioned or you're just this or you're just that and, and don't you understand where we're at today? It takes courage to speak the truth lovingly. What is right, honestly, is, is usually the minority voice. It's usually the minority opinion. And, um, typically the loudest voices, um, cannot always be trusted. So he says, take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. And then he says in verse 9, don't grumble about each other or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Uh, James doesn't use the word forbearance, but I'm going to use that word forbearance. Uh, it's a great term to capture this commitment to not grumble against each other. Grumbling is a, is a form of judgment. And neither you nor I uh, are the judge. So grumbling is super easy to do. 
oh, I, I can't believe the pastor said that, right? Or I can't believe she's not wearing her her face covering, or I can't believe they're always wearing their face covering, or you, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I can't believe that person's voting for Trump. They're an idiot for voting for Biden, or whatever it is. Like, we it's very very quick to to judge each other, and a Christian never needs to, nor ever ought to make, uh, you know, make that a, a pattern in their in their life, uh, lest we face judgment ourselves. Next one he says is endurance. Endurance and suffering. Endurance and hardship. This is what you need when times get tough. When you're suffering. James says those prophets of old are great examples. But we have plenty of modern examples. I think about missionaries who, you know, I've introduced you to a few of them lately who, who are laying everything down to, to go and, and serve the Lord in a new setting. Or, um, you know, we've got some California pastors who are standing up to, I think, unjust regulations in our, in our state. Endurance is a decision made before the crisis happens. This is really important. Your, your preparation for suffering happens beforehand. Your decision to be a person of endurance is long before it happens. Um, you know, you don't go, you don't show up to run a marathon without, without training, right, Carrie Sue? You train and train and train, and then you're ready to endure that 26.2 miles. And, and, and so the preparation comes beforehand. Make sure you're preparing before your trial. Um, allow yourself to, to be kind of exposed to what's going on. You know, in our house, we get, we, we get this magazine from the Voice of the Martyrs every month and, you know, we're, we're reading stories in real time of what believers are going through in other countries, in India and some of the African countries and in China and North Korea and these, the things that they're experiencing. And it's helping us to remember, wow, we have it. We're blessed, but we have an obligation to help those who are in places of suffering. And the last thing is honesty. He talks about verse 12. This seems like a little bit of a, bit of a shift again at the end of the, the chapter, verse 12. Whatever you say or do, remember, uh, Wrong verse 12. Most of all, my brothers and sisters, never uh, take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. James is addressing this, this habit of taking oaths to swear, to, to, to kind of strengthen your credibility. So anytime someone, you know, says, you know, that's true, I swear it. Um, that's not necessary. Because they're actually, in a sense, elevating themselves above God. What do I mean? Well, what do you swear by? What, what do you swear by? I swear by what? I swear this is true. There's nothing you can truly control. So you have nothing to bring in collateral to your oath. Right? And it's, I swear it means a saying, you know, uh, this is true. I, I, I swear as this pavement is black. Well, okay, well, is it really? And it could change and you know, say so you're, you're, you're speaking, putting yourself really in the place of God. You're basically telling us that you cannot be trusted just to say yes or no, that your word is unreliable. That's what he's saying. So a Christian never needs to or never, never ought to make an oath by swearing. And that's something we can talk about. What about in the court of law? And so if you've got questions about that, come talk to me. All right. Got you through all these things. Honesty, endurance forbearance and courage and patience and this ash rainfall is getting worse i think all right so i'm going to get you out of here in just a few moments what's the big takeaway 
What do we have here? It's this question. Are you ready for the Lord's return? Are you ready for the Lord's return? Jesus will come back and it will be like that. He will come in the clouds. Maybe there are going to be clouds of smoke. I don't know. But He's going to come in the clouds. And we're going to see Him. Those who have died will be caught up first. Those of us who are still alive will be caught up with Him. We'll be taken from this place. If Jesus were to come back this afternoon, would you be ready for Him? Well, Brian, how would I be ready? How do I know that I'm ready? You're ready by your faith and your trust in Jesus. Not by your deeds, not by your works, not by being in church this morning, not by your religion, not by wearing a cross around your neck, not by putting money in the offering plate. It's by your faith and your trust in Jesus. To say, Jesus, I can't save myself. I trust you to forgive my sin and make me a new person. To rescue me. To live in my heart as the Lord and leader of my life. I trust you, Jesus. I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you died for my sin and that you rose again. Let me give you a simple way we talk about it here. It's just just meant to be a little mnemonic device. A, B, C. A, to admit that I'm a sinner and I need saving. To B is to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died for your sin and rose again. And C is to commit yourself to follow Him all the days of your life. Implied in that is this thing we call repentance. Turning from my old way of life, confessing that sin, turning from that, and turning to follow Jesus. This turnaround moment. And Jesus says on that last day, there are going to be folks who say, uh, hey, you know, Lord, we did all lots of religious things. We were in church every Sunday and we prayed for people and, and we even performed miracles. We did all that stuff for you. And Jesus is going to say, I didn't know you. I didn't know you. I'm not taking you with me. I didn't know you. Do you know Jesus personally? Have you begun a personal relationship with God by your faith in Jesus Christ? Admit that I'm a sinner. I need saving. B, believe that Jesus Christ died for sin and He rose again. And He's the one who can forgive you. And C, commit your life to follow Him all your days. And then you're ready. Then you're ready. You begin to live your life in light of who you are as a child of God instead of striving for something that you wish you could be. Many of us spend our lives striving for something we wish we could be instead of living out of who God has already made you to be if you're a follower of Jesus. It's a good day of of salvation today. Would you bow with me in prayer? God, we're so um, quick to forget... um, this truth, Jesus, that you're standing at the door. Lord, we're the, we're the kids in the bedroom and we're just living our life and doing our thing and throwing pillows around and Jesus, you're standing at the door. And I pray God that you would give us a fresh and compelling vision of that and what that means for us to live now in a way that brings your good news to people around that do not know you yet. Lord, I know there's people listening to this today, whether here, whether on online, whether in our apartments around, who haven't yet come to that place of trusting you. And I pray today would be their day of salvation. That, Holy Spirit, you'd make this come alive for them right now. And friend, if that's you today, 
I want to just lead you in a little prayer. You just pray something like this. Just after me, just say, Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. I need You to forgive me and save me. I believe that You're the Son of God. That You died for my sin. And that You rose again. And I commit myself to follow You as the Lord and leader of my life. Father, for anyone that prayed that today, whether online, whether around the neighborhood, God, that I just ask the Holy Spirit would make that so alive and real right now, that You would um, just meet them right at this point of need today. We love You, Lord. We thank You for the privilege of gathering together. And... Um, we just continue to say we've, we're learning more than ever that we need you, we trust you, we turn to you, we commit ourselves to you, and we look forward to what you're going to do. And Jesus, most of all, we look forward to your return, that great and glorious day of your coming. We thank you for that. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen.